0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. I'm Pete Wright. Podcast later, podcast now. (laughs) Today we're talking about Minute 28, which begins with the value of strength and ends with a bit of Wagner. Back on the show today, it's Dr. Arnold T. Blumberg. Hello, Doc. Hi, great to be back. So we are coming back in on the, uh, the, it's kind of wrapping up what Erskine was saying as to the reason why Steve was chosen. Um, and in yesterday's minute, he said, this is why you were chosen, because the strong man who has known power all his life will lose respect for that power. But a weak man knows the value of strength and knows compassion. Uh, what do you think of this as far as like his reasons for choosing Steve?
1: It's a logical structure that I particularly appreciate in terms of a lot of very current um, concerns culturally, socially, politically, and that you could apply that same logic to. This is the reason why rich people don't, under, don't have empathy and don't understand how to take care of people or understand the value of anything because they've been rich. They don't need to understand. People who are disadvantaged or poor or have a lack of resources have a great deal of respect for all of it because they understand what it's like to be without, to have to struggle, to have to deal with that. That is that same logic that he's laying out there. And I happen to think it's a very solid argument. And I like the fact that underpinning all of this cliche and, you know, comic book stuff and accents and everything is I think a very nice, I mean, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's not, you know, you can come up with this, but it's just a beautiful little idea that I think really underscores why this character is a hero and why we should care about him. And, and I think it's beautifully done.
2: Yeah, I do too. And I think part of what connects, what I connect with so well to this particular sequence is it distills so much of the sort of complexity of you know, patriotism and good versus evil and all that down to something that is that is approachable by, you know, again, the sort of common people like this is we if we break it down to its sort of atomic emotional sensibilities, it's it, it is about who you are in your heart and i i like the way not only the way um you know it's written but i love the way tooch delivers it it's just like it nails it i don't know is there something about the comic german accent when when you know massaged into Tooch's kind of sense and sensibility that that makes me hear things better i don't know but i love it I think he is more endearing that way. You know, it's also interesting to me,
1: again, from like the Jewish perspective is I always get the impression he's Jewish, the Erskine, but they never say anything about that, do they? I mean, they don't make any direct reference. Right. Which, again, sometimes I feel more cowardice than actually, you know, like a, a choice. So they just don't want to deal with that. But I always get the impression that he's Jewish.
0: Well, I mean, to that end, I mean, I feel like they really patterned him after Einstein. Like they give that yeah. sense of him, yeah. and I mean, even his character was Reinstein initially. There's that sense of him coming from that, and and Einstein certainly had that background and stuff. So I, I feel like it's there, but it isn't ever really kind of clearly called out. Yeah. Now, my follow up question to that is, um, if this is what they had been looking for, they were trying to choose something. They had seven days. And they had a group of recruits, including Gilmore, who we know didn't get make the cut. Um, but they were looking for somebody uh, who knows the value of strength and compassion. Based on what we saw them doing, do you feel like that the, the actual kind of drills that they had them running through um, were the right sorts of things to get them to this decision? Because this is certainly something we talked about when we showed it, because it just looked like boot camp.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think I think a lot of that, though, is the. By the way, uh, I I don't I don't get to see him while we're talking, but uh, Tommy Lee Jones was another great choice. But um, so good, yeah. Um, but I mean, the, I think it's the problem here is that you've got a little conflict, and that this is also a military operation, so they're trapped in certain ways of thinking. I don't think it's necessarily like those were the ways to find the person. I think the problem is that Erskine, and and I think it's done well the way they show it too. Erskine's kind of looking out for the person, like he finds him when he he's doing the trick thing of signing up again, right? And he realizes this is the guy I want, the one who's so into it. And the thing is, no testing or no process they were doing was going to find that person. And I think Erskine knew that because they're doing it military style. Well, obviously, we need a big soldier guy. And it's like, no, the magic elixir will make that part. We we need the guy inside. So that's why I think he was going outside the box to find who that person was going to be, because this wasn't going to do it.
0: Well, and that's actually I I really like the way that you uh, kind of put that uh Together because it makes a lot of sense that, yeah, this was kind of a military operation and they're recruiting people. I mean, if you look at the lineup of people standing there with Steve, mm-hmm. none of them look like the weak guy. None of them look like the guy who might be good on the inside, but is weak on the outside. They all look like soldiers. And, yeah. you know, I mean, they're all the size of Gilmore. And so, The fact that Erskine was able to kind of sneak this one in, you know, perhaps uh, it it might speak to the fact that, you know, this was kind of his, uh, you know, battle with the military and trying to find the person that he felt he knew was right, even though they didn't quite see it. And it just took I mean, it really ended up taking the grenade test to kind of uh, pin that down. But it was it was interesting to see how it played out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is a great moment, though. It's a beautiful moment between these two characters. Um, you know, Alan Silvestri's music music plays so well as it's kind of wrapping this stuff up. And uh, you know, Steve's follow up. Thanks. I think <laughs> it's a great little <laughs> a great little moment to that. And that brings us to the pouring of the schnapps. I, I love this moment. Uh, it's such a fun little bit where we have him pouring the schnapps, giving a, giving a toast uh, to to the success of the 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 surgery tomorrow or the procedure only to pull the cup away from Steve. Uh, How does this play for you too?
1: I love that moment that, that to me, that's the reason I picked the, this week
0: that I was this, this week was that, that joke
1: with the drink. That to me (laughs) is like the epitome of how real he makes uh, a nice comic button on a scene work. Another thing like we've been talking already is some of the like pitfalls that MCU movies have fallen into. I don't particularly share this this criticism, but there are many people who feel like, oh, sometimes they undercut the drama too much with a joke at the end of the scene. Well, it's not a problem if it's done right. And this is a beautiful moment because it's so human and so real, and it's so warm the way he's talking to him. Again, that's almost father-son, mentor-student kind of thing. And I just feel like that moment is why I love Stanley Tucci as this character. And and it makes it's more than just a little joke at the end. It's something that shows the kind of person he is and uh it's just
2: great. There's another movie out there where we follow Tucci's Erskine as a recovering alcoholic about <laughs> ten years later. <laughs> Just uses excuses to drink with soldiers as a way to fuel his own uh, alcoholism.
1: Hey, with the multiverse now, maybe we can bring back another Erskine at some point. If
0: That'd you can great.
2: dream it, it can happen. Yes. That's right. he, he would that.
0: always be talking about Augsburg and trying to get people to drink schnapps with him. Yeah, <laughs> that's,
2: right. that's right. Have you had my schnapps? Have you had my schnapps? <laughs>
0: That's very Oprah. It, it, you're you're starting to feel like yeah. you're. A little, and you get a bottle of schnapps, and you That's get right. a bottle of schnapps. And you get
2: my schnapps, and you get my. No, wait, I get my schnapps too. Oh.
0: Oh, he's so good. The um, we do have some soldiers passing by the window again. Yeah, this is one of these things uh, that you keep noticing. Uh, there is there are two soldiers that pass by one window, one at 35 seconds and one at 39 seconds, and then we cut and it could be the soldier. This might be the first time we actually have a soldier that, that may have actually made it to the second window, because we do see one at second 40, which is a different shot. That could be the soldier from 35. Hard to say, but I I'd like to think that we did have one soldier. Finally, make it past a second window.
2: One of two. There's one that has yeah. been completely. Yeah. You know, he's laser grid. He's gone. He's, <laughs> but the others that we did have one for the first, maybe the first one in the
0: film. Is that what's outside? Like, are you saying that we have the Resident Evil laser grid outside it's the window? Cu- <laughs> it's cube. <laughs> it's like cube cap, and and so you never know. It could be toxic
2: gas. Could be poison.
1: We're all gonna oh, die down here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're all gonna die down here.
0: Oh, all right, so we have uh this fantastically funny moment with uh erskine drinking all the schnapps uh love it to pieces, and then we come back to uh to Schmidt's office lab over at the Hydra headquarters up in the Alps and uh, we're listening to some Wagner here
1: isn't that on the nose
0: well, yeah, and it would have been even more on the nose if they had kept that line in the script about how much he loves wagner but yeah it's it's a very big <laughs> moment of the of the song here. Uh so we get a we get a, a little dose of opera. We'll talk about that more in tomorrow's minute. Um but we're back in the in the lab and we see uh Zola walking in um well, you know, a little bit of uh a little bit of um motivation with his walk. Um what do you what do you think of this set, Arnold? Do you like this uh space?
1: Oh yeah, I like that. It's very classic Bond villain kind of looking set. I like the big window. That's right we haven't gotten to it yet have we. So I mean like the window provides some good lighting opportunities but I guess we'll get to that next time too.
0: Yeah, well we have seen the window last time we were here. Yeah, last time. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: But yeah, I mean I like it. It's uh it's it also looks very much now that I think of it, it looks very much like the kind of laboratory you would have seen in like an old Max Fleischer Superman cartoon. Mhm. Hmm. And and so again, it is very appropriate and feels right for the time. And again, not just World War II, but like Republic serial era kind of villainy and the kind of technology we're seeing there. And of course, obviously, things are going to change because he's using the Tesseract to like push beyond it, the real sci-fi kind of stuff. But the technology, the look of it, it just uh, it really looks right for for that kind of thing. So,
0: yeah, I like that. Does it I I know they were look they were kind of going for something that was, you know, set in the forties but had kind of that alternate futuristic look to it. Do you buy as you're looking at this though that it feels like this all could actually have been 1943?
1: Maybe not entirely, but I don't think I ever really think too much about that because again, there's a limit to how much of any of that would actually bother me in the sense that this is still comics you know i mean it's like it's still its own sort of fanciful version of our world and of course by the time you get to cap and then you start to get beyond it we're really it's very clear i mean it should be clear already by the time the guy with the iron suit showed up but clearly we're not in our world right we're not we're not in our timeline this isn't our world war ii this is some other weird version of world war ii where a guy figured out a way to make laser weapons and stuff like that. so, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. i mean up to a point i appreciate the fact that it is grounded in something that feels like a version of reality but then when it needs to depart from that there's no problem and it doesn't need to feel like it really 100 percent fits because it's never going to i mean you get scenes in this like where they're out on the street you know, or like he's chasing the guy and, and the cars and everything, everything looks the way it should. But it also to me looks very much like a movie that was shot in the two thousands. I'm not going to be, you know, uh, convinced of otherwise, but, uh, it's a beautiful version of that reality. And, and, uh, it works
0: for me. Pete, any, any thoughts on this, uh, location before we, uh, close up shop for today's minute?
2: Well, I'm already a bull on the location. I think it's fantastic. And I, I, you know, I think you recall, I still, in my head, it still exists. And it was abandoned like Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen's place in Tunisia. It's still there. We could find
0: it. So if we went to the Alps, you think we could find this? And it's yeah. just kind of like an yeah. abandoned set. That I mean, you was, have actually... to look
2: real hard. There's also the runway that goes straight through the
0: mountains. We'll get to that later. It's all there. All there. One hell of a runway. One hell of a runway. Mm mm-hmm. um, We do have a soldier uh, very briefly outside the door. It looks like they're shutting the door for Zola. So we uh, it's a very small role for an extra. I like to think that they just were finding ways to squeeze these people in when they could.
1: I'm going to be in a Marvel movie, Mom.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Look at me. That was me. All, all two seconds of me through the door. I was a Nazi.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was a Nazi. You
0: know, I I do love the record player. Did either of you have this sort of, uh, I've never had this sort of record player, but the kind that had that kind of that cool head on it with the needle that just kind of comes down. It looks like it it looks so violent compared to like the record players I had. (laughs) Never had. I never had
2: such a record player. You never had a violent record player. <laughs> I never had a violent record player. Never had such a violent it was record player. Whole so violent. <laughs> that needle is like it's. It's gonna like play the record and then it's gonna go straight to an injection. Like it is a substantial. Substantial piece of kit. I
1: wait to place the record. I place the record right
2: now.
0: I was wondering uh, if this is the sort of needle that would give you, it would, would activate your needle phobia, Pete. Because. Well, I, not yet, Andy. Thanks. <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> now we can't watch
1: the movie anymore.
0: Fantastic. We're doing great. Avert your eyes. Avert your eyes. So grateful to be here with you. It's all good. It's all good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't think we have anything else. I think that, you know, we'll save the opera and the lab and everything else uh, going on for next time. Uh, Any last thoughts from either of you, or should we just move on? I'm good. Let's move on. I'm tired of you. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. I'm bringing my record needle. We're going to do some injections. I
2: don't care for it. I'm going to have to get between the two of you. (laughs) (laughs) This partnership (laughs) is struggling.
0: All right. (laughs) Zola. Arnold, uh, would you like to remind everyone again where they can uh, track you down and see what you're up to?
1: Sure. Listen to my wife Natalie and me talk about all of the horror and sci-fi movies that we're watching on ghouls in the house at ghoulsinthehouse.com. And you can check out my publishing company, which uh publishes pop culture nonfiction on all the kinds of things you love at atbpublishing.com.
0: Are you still doing the uh the,
1: the comic? Uh pickles and bean? Yes I am. Yeah, I'm still doing it. that's right. I <laughs> actually forgot. <that. laughs> I'm also doing a strangely uh pleasant little uh side project that uh doesn't fit with any of the other things i've ever done except my history comics called pickles and bean which you can see every uh about twice a week at picklesandbean.com.
0: excellent yeah I, awesome i love your little uh the your headshot that you have where it's got your little bird sitting on your shoulder Oh, thank you <laughs> that's fantastic so all right pete uh i'm bringing my needle
2: the silent treatment doesn't work on podcasts, but just so listeners know, that's what you should get out of this moment. Silent treatment begins now.
0: Until next time, true believers.
2: Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at TrueStory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.